0: Well, good morning. Uh, Thank you for the invitation to be part of your CBMC conference in India. I am deeply regretful that I cannot be with you in person. Uh, You'll understand more as I go along in this uh, talk, what I mean by that. Uh, This is not a sermon, by the way. I'm sitting in a hotel room in Edinburgh, Scotland I was hoping to be in a more exotic spot in Scotland, but instead I'm in a very crummy, lousy hotel near the airport. It's been very difficult traveling over here and um, getting this message to you has not been easy, but I love India so much. I love uh, CBMC in India so much that it's an honor for me to participate with you. If I was going to give a title to this conversation, and I won't call it a sermon, this is a conversation. I'm sitting in a chair, drinking a cup of coffee, having this conversation with you. But I'm going to read one scripture to start us from 1 Peter, the second chapter, verses 11 and 12. I'm reading in the um, uh, New Living Translation, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. When I first read that verse, it said, be careful how you live among... The pagans and that's the word i want you to remember is that you live as a cbmc person among unbelieving people especially there in india of course but also in the united states as well my wife and i have recently moved from kentucky to alabama and as i travel around everybody always says where do you live and of course for almost 70 years my answer was i live in kentucky A beautiful place. Uh, Some of you know about Kentucky Fried Chicken. We think we're famous for horses in Kentucky. Now, of course, I say I live in Alabama, South Alabama. We went there because the weather is better in the winter time, and we went there because my wife's sister is our next door neighbor, so we have family ties there in Alabama. But where do you live? It just means where do you physically live But for me, I live in other places in my mind, not physically, but in my mind. Right now I'm in Scotland. I come to Scotland because I love coming to Scotland. I first came here almost 40 years ago. I love to play golf. So I come here on golf holidays, but I also come here to teach and preach. And so Scotland has become a mission field for me. Uh, My wife and I spend most of August and September now in Scotland and see ourselves as the remnant. We found a little remnant of Christ up in the little town where we stay uh, called Brora in the northern part of Scotland. Very few Christians. And so we see ourselves as missionaries there and it's an awesome experience. So in my mind, even when I'm in Alabama, I sort of want to be in Scotland, especially in the summertime when it's cool in Scotland. And then of course, also in my mind, I'm in India quite often. Uh, every, uh, tw- you know, once every two weeks we get on the telephone with Richard Samuel and Gunakumar Kumar and other friends from India. We connect. And even when I'm not physically in India, you'd be surprised how often my, my mind goes there. Uh, and so I'm living in Alabama, but in my mind, I'm sort of living in Scotland and India, because those are the places that I think about a lot. Um, And so where do you live? Uh, Let me flip the conversation slightly and say a lot of times people also live in the past. You're not really living now, you're just living in the past. You're living with lots of regrets. Um, You're living with lots of problems and issues related to unforgiveness of people that have wronged you in the past. And so there's something in your rearview mirror that gets your attention almost every day, maybe even consumes you. Or on the positive side, some people live in the past with all their glories. You know, for me, I was a senator at one time, so it's easy to remember the days when, when uh, people called me senator. It's easy to remember the days when I was a lawyer and going to court and winning cases in front of juries. And I've got so many great stories to tell, uh, which is a little bit of bragging, you know, when I do that. But you live in the glory years of whatever. And when I was the president of CBMC International, I got to travel to 67 countries. So I have so many wonderful experiences, stories. I could live in the past so easily, just remembering the the good days, <clears throat> the good times. But I think God doesn't really want you to... Um, live in the past, and I'm not sure he really wants you to live in the future either, although it's a good idea to invest in your future, invest in the future of your family, but a lot of people don't live in the present because they're just always dreaming about the future. I've been guilty of this many times. Much of my thinking is about what will be in the future. It's not about today. It's about next year, what I'm going to do and what I would like to do. There are many people who are just dreamers. They never really do anything. Someday I'm going to do this. Someday I'm going to do that, but they never get around to doing it. Even someday I'm going to follow Jesus, but I haven't really done it yet. I've got so many other things I need to get done first. And then someday I'll do that. So many people, um, where do you live? Some people live in the past. Some people live in the future. I want to encourage you today, if you can, to start living now. And that'll be easier if you understand a couple of things. One, your past is forgiven. No matter what mistakes or sins you've committed, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And uh, your past is over. There is nothing to regret. It's over. It doesn't matter how bad it's been. So if you know that your past is forgiven and you know that there is hope for your future, I believe that combination gives you power for the present. Uh, I want to encourage you to live today. Where do you live? I hope you're living today. And I hope you're living among pagans. I want to remind you, if you go to work every day, you're living among pagans. And so I I have a a dilemma. Um, I call myself the man in the middle. And I think that's going to be true for everybody on on this Zoom. I'm the man in the middle because I live between two worlds. My physical world in Alabama is quite awesome, actually. I'm 70 years old. I'm retired. I finally made it. I live on a golf course. The 15th green is outside my back door. The best fishing lake in Alabama is outside my back door. Uh, my pension is sufficient. I actually make the same money now I did when I was working, but I don't have to work. It's pretty nice. I got a good pension thanks to, um, my time as a judge. And uh, so I live my life among country club people. That means people that are also very comfortable physically. Um, People that have it made. And so I live in this world of affluence, which is true for many of you in CBMC. You live in a circle of affluence. You have enough assets and money and property to be very comfortable, and so you live there physically. But metaphysically, I live in India. I live in Scotland, a place where it's almost impossible to find a Christian. My mind is always thinking there, and so I'm in between these two worlds of um, American affluence, in the world of a lost India and a lost Scotland. And these two worlds collide sometimes. And I'm the man in the middle. Let me give you a story. Two months ago, I was playing in a golf tournament and one of the persons I was playing with was a, a um, very wealthy guy. And he started to tell me about another wealthy friend of his. And this guy had been so wealthy that he went to a casino for gambling and lost $100,000 in two days. And it was not a sad story. The guy was laughing and thought it was funny and thought it was just wonderful that this guy had so much money. <laughs> he had so much money that he didn't, uh, th- that he could afford to lose $100,000. And uh, I just listened and smiled and shook my head a little bit. and. Five minutes later, we're on the golf course and I got a text. The text was from our dear friend, Guna Kumar. Some of you all would know Guna. This was back in earlier in the summer. He was telling us that his son, Joel, uh, who we knew had the coronavirus. So we knew that it could be serious. And it was just an invitation to pray an invitation to uh, join him in an all-night prayer meeting. Of course, all-night prayer meetings in India is all-day prayer meetings in America. And so I was in the middle of a golf tournament when I got this invitation from India. Pray. Please, Tim, join us to pray. A few minutes went by and I took my text message over to my new rich friend. I'd never met the guy before that day. And I said, hey, man, I'm really sorry about your friend that lost $100,000, but look at this text message I just received from one of my dear friends in India. His 41-year-old son has coronavirus and I've been invited to join in a prayer meeting. And I told him a couple of other stories from India that shocked him a little bit. And I said, what a shame that your friend didn't have the pleasure of helping people in need instead of losing all that money at the casino. And I was found myself in the middle of these two worlds, uh, a world of affluence and a world of pain and, and suffering. And so I'm living as a man in the middle. And I want to remind you that you are men and women in the middle. God has put you in your place of work he's put you in your even your places of play for me when it comes to the golf course he has put us in these places to be the man in the middle the man in the middle between lost rich people and the pain and suffering of this world and god himself is calling us to minister to all of these people um in a way that really kind of shocks them most of the time Jesus said it's almost impossible for a rich man to go to heaven. Did you know that? Do you think of yourself as an affluent rich man, rich woman? Well, be glad that you are. I know you are. You're probably happy that you've made it in life. You've succeeded so far, like me. You're you're happy to be here, but it's also a very sobering thought, isn't it? Jesus said it's almost impossible for a rich man to go to heaven these two worlds collided for me several years ago when this same Gunu kumar my friend sorry to talk about Gunu so much he'll he'll enjoy hearing this i hope but i had a friend at the golf club his name was billy uh, billy lived in a big mansion he had married a beautiful young lady who was actually 30 years younger than him They had a little girl, his first child, he was almost 60 years old when this story took place. And um, Billy actually went to work every day in a helicopter. Okay, that's that's when you know somebody's doing well and I think mostly he went to work in his helicopter just to make sure everybody knew that he had one. And Billy called me one day and he was one of my golf friends and I had started a Bible study with him at the golf club. Never forget it. We went through the book of John. He hadn't been to church in years. We got to John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes may be saved and have eternal life. And he began to understand that what it says in 1 Timothy 1, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul, when he wrote that, knew that he was the chief of sinners. So I explained to Billy very clearly that um, salvation was not for saints, it was for sinners. Wow, that was good news for him. And he said a simple prayer to start his journey. It was not long after that, that he called me and Billy had cancer. He said, Tim, I've got lung cancer. I'm on my way to Houston, Texas to find out how bad it is. He called me the next day and the doctor's report was horrible. Small cell lung cancer, usually uncurable. They gave him perhaps a year to live, eight year old little girl just so happened a couple of months later that uh, Guna Kumar, my friend, came into Lexington where we lived. And Guna, of course, loves to pray for the sick. I called Billy up and I said, I've got a friend from India. Now, he's an evangelist. You've never met him. And his prayers are not any greater than anybody else's prayers, but he he's offered to pray for you. And uh, we'll come over to the house if you'll let us and pray for you. So Billy said, sure, come on over. I wasn't sure how he would receive this kind of healing prayer. I said, it'll just take us 15 minutes, Billy. And so we got to the house. My wife, Sue, <coughs> and um, Guna, Kim Turkington with Fish Hook, was also there for this prayer meeting. It lasted more like an hour and 15 minutes because Gunna said to Billy, Billy, do you have a Bible? Yes, go, go get your Bible. And he went and got his Bible and they, he asked Billy to actually kneel down in his living room. His little girl was there, his wife was there. Gunna preached a sermon from someplace in the New Testament. I don't remember where. Prayed for him, we all prayed for Billy. It was awesome. Tears. And um, certainly, Billy's salvation experience, which was very short and sweet with me, probably took on a new meaning and it's even possible that he was saved that night. It was funny, as we got ready to leave, Billy, the wealthy man, came over to me and whispered in my ears, we were walking out the door, hey Tim, do I owe this guy anything? <laughs> I laughed, I said, no Billy. You don't owe him anything. This is free of charge. About a month later, Billy called me and said they'd been to Houston and they couldn't find any cancer in his body. Wow. (laughs) We lived in the glory of that for, we lived in the glory of that for a few months. But that next summer, the cancer reappeared. His lungs had been damaged actually more by the treatment than by the cancer. And that summer, Billy did pass away I gave a eulogy at his funeral that we know for sure that Billy Simpson's in heaven. Which shocked some of his old friends. They couldn't understand it because they knew that probably if you waited on a scale, his bad deeds outweighed his good deeds, and so he probably didn't make it. But uh we know Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even rich sinners, because it's just almost impossible. For a rich man to get to heaven it is possible but it's difficult and so how awesome that was to see the connection of these two worlds see this connection is important it's not just that americans have money and they'll send it to the poor in india i think india has more to offer america than the other way around i I stay connected to india not because you need me i stay connected to india because i need you Uh, We've got the world backwards. Let me read something for you from Revelation 3. Uh, An awesome uh, message, of course, in red letters to the church in Laodicea. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich and Buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Isn't it interesting that we've we've got it all backwards? Uh, Jesus is saying here to this church in Laodicea that there's this certain crowd that says, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing, and he says, you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You see, the true poor of this world are the persons that seem to have everything together on this earth financially and in terms of property and comfort. How interesting it is, isn't it, that when you take prayer requests, I'm, 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 I've been in lots of meetings. So have you. Where does anybody have any prayer requests? Um, and the, the prayer requests very often are just thanking the Lord that we don't have any troubles. <laughs> Sometimes people will say to me, and I've caught myself doing this, "How are you doing?" And I'll say, oh, the Lord is so good. Well, we're living in a fine house. I got a nice pension. Everything is great. We're just thanking the Lord that he's made it so easy on us. <laughs> really? Oh, my. What a, what a horrible, really, thought that is. Uh, and, and, and so our, our a lot of our prayers are just please for comfort. Oh, God, make life easy for me. <laughs> Oh my, we forget that the truth is we are wretched and poor and miserable. Anyone who's trying to live their whole life or even live this day without the power, the power of Jesus Christ is miserable and wretched and poor. And so we've been told to to repent. Look, he says, I stand at the door and knock. This verse, by the way, in Revelation 320, it was not there as an evangelism verse, which is, you know, you know, I've preached that sermon that uh, Jesus is standing and knocking at the door of your heart, hoping you will open the door to your heart. It's actually in the middle of talking to this church. Even though you're a member of CBMC and you're at this conference and you're participating as a Christian business person or a Christian professional person, there's a good chance that because of the busyness of life and the worries of this world, it's a good chance you've been distracted. And Jesus himself is standing at the door, knocking, hoping you'll open the door to come in. This door though is uh, also symbolic. I love the, the symbol of the door. There's a poem I encourage you to look up. I'm not gonna read it to you, it would take too long. It's caught by a man named Samuel Shoemaker, who was the original founder of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And he wrote a poem called The Door, which I wish I had memorized, but I haven't. But it says, I stand by the door. And the image of this door is that God lives in a particular house. And in this house is a marvelous house, obviously. Uh, the temple of God, if you will. But it's going to have a door. And most people go way inside and they just love to live there. They almost forget what it was like before they got in there. They love living inside the kingdom of heaven. They love everything about Um, church, CBMC, being being a part of the fellowship of believers. And they're so comfortable. They actually have never led anybody to Christ in their whole life (laughs) because they live in this little house. Sometimes there are scholars, of course, and others who go deep, deep, deep into the house. But Samuel Shoemaker in his poem is making the point that he loves to stand by the door because he knows there are people outside the door who are groping, blind people, groping, looking for the latch, looking for the door. How do I How do I find God? How do I get into God's house? I need help finding my way in there. Oh, my. They're just standing there outside. And so Sam Shoemaker is saying, I stand by the door. I stand there to to look for those groping hands, those blind hands, searching for God. I stand there to tell them, come in, come in, and reach out and grab them by the hand and bring them in. He said, I also stand by the door because some people, once they get in the house, (laughs) it's more than they can stand and they try to get out. So he said, I stand by the door for some to remind them what it was like before they got inside how bad it was to tell them stay. I know you want to run away, but stay. He said, my place is by the door. So I think that's a good description for the life I want to live. I'm not just the man in the middle. I'm also the man at the door calling people in, trying to keep people in this kingdom of heaven. Those that are blind and wretched and poor. Uh, I have so many stories. I'm just going to close with my, really, my most recent story. Um, I I do, I live at a golf club now. And so my mission field in many ways is this golf course, the people that play golf there. I go out of my way to play with people that are not believers, try to find the the people that are lost and won't go to church. (laughs) Um, I'm going to tell you about somebody named Sean, not his real name, because you might end up hearing this someday. I started the Bible study about 18 months ago after I'd been there for a year, had met enough friends. I invited everybody to a 9.30 in the morning on Friday's um, Bible study with the idea that we would meet together for fellowship for an hour and then go play golf. Well, we got several people showed up. Most Friday mornings, we have a dozen people or so. A mix of people. Some have been Christians for a while, a long time, and others go go to church no place. Don't claim any kind of religion at all. I love living among the pagans, by the way. (laughs) Living among my unbelieving neighbors, 1 Peter says. Oh my, that's where I wanna live. Uh, I want pagans on both sides. Unbelieving neighbors all around. God has called us. That's where we're supposed to be living and breathing. And uh, it just brings life to me. So this guy named Sean, he showed up at the very first Bible study. It was great. He seemed very interested. I'd played golf with him, but I didn't know anything other than he was a nice guy. A few weeks went by, and one of his friends found me and said, Tim, how did you get Sean to come to the Bible study at the golf course? I've been inviting him to my Baptist church for 20 years, and he's always got a reason why he can't come. I've never, he's a very nice person. He's almost my best friend, but uh, he just has no interest whatsoever in the Bible, God, or anything spiritual. How did you get him to come to your Bible study? I said, I invited him. (laughs) You know, some people, you don't need to invite to church. In fact, that's exactly the wrong thing to do. I said, I invited him. He knew I was his friend. He thought maybe this would be interesting. And he's getting older. He knows the end is coming. And so he came. He he says, I don't know what's going on. And so this friend said, well, I don't know what's going on with Sean. But every time I see him, he talks about this Bible study. (laughs) I said, well, good. I didn't know that. I didn't know he was that interested. I knew he was showing up. So about two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, very recently, the last time that I was at home before this trip, we were actually studying Revelation. We've made it up through Revelation 5 and somewhere in here, we really got into the, the way of salvation. Had a great discussion that morning. That Jesus, once again, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come into the world to save saints. Although I must say, having said that, that there are lots of people who have to be saved, not from their sins so much, as to be saved from their goodness. There are so many people. By the way, it's a lot of times it's women because they know they're better than the men. (laughs) They're counting on their goodness to get them into heaven. They're counting on their works. They're counting on following the rules so well their whole life. I'm not perfect, but I've been good. So there are some people that need to be saved from their goodness. But most of us, especially men, know the truth. We need to be saved from our sins, which are many. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so we got through with our awesome Bible study here about two or three weeks ago, and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, hey, Tim, it's time to ask Sean a question. We had a closing prayer, actually, and had two minutes left, and so I looked straight at Sean, and I said, hey, Sean, do you believe It took him aback because he never says anything at these meetings. It took him aback and there was only seven or eight people there that morning. And so it was a very safe environment. And he says, I do. He had actually come to a sunrise service. I organized a Easter sunrise service at our golf club. It was awesome. We had a hundred people there. He, he called, he called me the week before the Easter sunrise service. And he said, Tim, I'm going to be at the Sunrise Easter service. I knew he hadn't been to church in years. He says, is it okay if I invite some people to come with me? (laughs) I said, yes, it's okay. That's when I knew something was going on. He brought his wife. He brought his two sons who were trying to figure out what's going on with my daddy. And so two or three weeks ago, I said, Sean, do you believe? He said, yes, I do. We got to the putting green, we were getting ready to go out and play golf and he came over and he got near me and started to whisper. And I was actually afraid that I'd put him on the spot and maybe offended him and instead he said, Tim, uh, you really caught me off guard there with that question. I said, well, I know I did. I didn't want you to have time to think about it. He said, but you need to know, I, I really do believe and I love coming to the Bible study and just thank you for for doing this. <laughs> oh man, how great it is to live among the unbelieving neighbors, to live among the pagans. That's why we exist in CBMC. By the way, we are not a little fellowship. We're not the people that go inside God's house and 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 drink coffee and tea and eat cookies. <laughs> and love each other, and we do all that, but we mostly stand by the door. Most of the church is gonna be inside, having a good time. We stand by the door. Our friends are still outside the door. Our friends are out there, the people we work with, the people we play with. Oh my, God has called us to this unique ministry to business and professional people, telling them the good news that Jesus Christ can save. Thank you again for letting me be part of this. uh, Let me pray, and I've gone four minutes longer than I planned to go, so let me pray for us, and then I hope to see you next week. Lord Jesus, thank you for placing us by the door, There are many in this world who are wretched and blind and poor and naked, but they don't know it. They think because they have a good job and they have a a good family and a good home, and they're comfortable. They think that all is well, but we know from your word that we know Jesus himself has taught us. It's almost impossible for a rich man to go to heaven. So you've called a few of us, to work in this world called CBMC, to present Jesus Christ to business and professional people who were lost without you. So, Father, I pray that you would ignite a fire in the spirit of every man and woman listening to this message and so that they leave this day uh, with hope for the future, with power for the present. In Jesus' name.